Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This week on The California Report magazine, climate change is making it hotter everywhere in California, and heat can be a sneaky threat to our health and safety. You might think of it as a party crasher. Sir, you need to leave. You're causing me a a great deal of physical harm. I would appreciate if you vacate there or you go somewhere else for a while. But heat is getting more dangerous, deadly even in parts of California you wouldn't expect, like the coast. She has a temperature of 103.1. Are you with the patient now? From foggy San Francisco to the Inland Empire, heat is harming people. Like the workers who swelter inside metal shipping containers. Although you're wet with sweat, the heat is too much. If you get too close to the sheet metal, it sizzles. Yes, that's what happens. I'm Sasha Coca, and this week we're devoting our whole show to stories about heat and about ways we can protect ourselves from it. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. For the last three years, KQED science reporter Molly Peterson has been chasing heat. She's talked to more than 100 Californians in homes, schools, and workplaces to find out how the heat affects their health and safety. People like Brandon, who works in a Southern California warehouse. His mornings all start the same. An hour before daybreak, he makes himself a green juice. Pineapple, celery, cactus. He's 51, and lately he's been trying to get healthier. He gets behind the wheel of an old compact car. It bumps over a light rail line that links the suburbs of San Bernardino County to Los Angeles. Brandon's got a quick commute, maybe 20 minutes. The sun rises while he drives a forklift inside a huge warehouse. He's done this kind of work for almost a decade. The day I go see him in early September, the temperature hits 100. Since dawn, the sun has pounded his warehouse, and the metal containers docked around it like nursing piglets. They feed goods like kitchen mixers and patio furniture from overseas to consumers in California and beyond. A thin band of windows wraps around one corner of the building. That's where managers sit. Where Brandon works, it's uninsulated, metal, no windows. In the parking lot, heat bakes his car. No air conditioning there either. When he clocks out, another 20 minutes, and he's back home on his block. 
It's only then that he finds respite. At home, in a darkened corner of his apartment, he stands under a fan mounted on the wall. Oh, he's fresh. That's that's my cool area. In this tiny, tidy apartment, he knows the enemy. He and his wife pulled the window shades down tight against the sun. He sways under the fan, then he falls onto the bed. Sometimes he falls asleep. Today, I feel the difference. I even tell my wife, don't bother me. I'm grabbing some fresh air now. Where Brandon lives, in the city of Fontana, the temperature has hit 95 degrees about 50 days a year. In a couple of decades, even if greenhouse gas emissions level off, that number could almost double. If we keep dragging our feet on global warming, hot days in the Inland Empire could last more than four months a year by the end of the century. For Brandon, right now, heat's already a real threat. I felt bad twice a week. I got headaches. It's too much heat. It doesn't help that Brandon has high blood pressure, a condition that makes it harder for people to sweat. Other chronic conditions make sweating more difficult, too. Asthma, heart and lung troubles. So do medications people take for those illnesses. Brandon himself takes a pill for hypertension each morning. On this September day, it got so hot at work, he also needed aspirin. My head was aching. You know the heat was bad because they were giving out bottles of water. I took the aspirin, but I still had a headache. The heat was very strong. And oh my God, like the women say, this company is huge, but they only give us a piece of gum. Nothing for what they put us through. Employers are supposed to protect workers' health and safety, but no federal rules limit heat indoors. Nothing in California, either. No required rest breaks or water. Nothing demanding a place to cool down. Employers only have to report the very worst cases of heat sickness, when someone dies or goes to the hospital for more than a day. Health researchers and workers like Brandon say heat sickness is a lot more common and more punishing than the numbers show. The heat is ugly. It's an inferno. It's like hell. The people that are cool work inside the offices, but us, we work with the devil. So, Molly, you met Brandon last year while you were investigating this issue of heat on the job. Um, And you actually measured how hot it was inside this warehouse where he works. As a journalist, I can't get into these hot, hot workplaces. But we borrowed these small sensors from Arizona State University, and they were able to go where I couldn't, uh, into these metal-enclosed warehouses and these other places that get very hot where people work. And to protect workers, we don't say their names or where they work because they gave us that trust to get in there. So how do these little sensors work? The sensors measure temperature and humidity, so we can calculate something called heat index. It's what heat feels like, depending on the moisture in the air. What did the sensors say for Brandon about how hot it was inside his workplace? Last summer, Brandon's heat index at work measured above 90 degrees nearly half the day. And there's thousands and thousands more workers in this position, too. Like one woman I met last year. We'll call her Rebecca. 
Her sensor showed she experienced high heat almost all of the time on the job. Rebecca's 41 now. She worked in a warehouse owned by the fast fashion retailer Charlotte Roos. Her job was in a loft closer to the corrugated metal roof of the building. All day she was hanging clothes on racks and attaching security tags to them. Applying security tags might sound easy, but we're doing it as we're caged inside racks of clothes, so there's zero air getting to us. Those racks are crowded among tall boxes of dresses and hangers. Last July, even at 10 o'clock at night, the sensor I gave Rebecca showed that it still felt like 94 degrees inside. Desesperante. Horrible. Rebecca and her co-workers found ways to get by. They fanned each other with cardboard. They used battery-powered fans. She even swaddled her head and neck in wet, cool cloth. On one night in July last year, none of it was enough. Uh, pues empecé a trabajar prácticamente... I began to have a headache. I felt like I was about to throw up. Then I noticed that my hands were starting to shake. She asked to go home. The boss said yes, but Rebecca wasn't paid for the rest of her shift. She missed two more days of work and pay. The clothing company, Charlotte Roos, wouldn't comment for this story. But Dr. Robert Harrison, who runs UC San Francisco's Occupational Health Clinic, says the law is clear about what companies should do. Every worker who is employed is covered by workers' compensation insurance. So when he or she is injured or gets sick on the job, let's say from heat-related illness, they're under the law, can report that, and get sent to a health care provider. In real life, it's not that simple. Workers fear that if they get sick on the job, the boss might see them as a problem. Last October, Brandon had made it through most of the day. He felt the heat building up inside his body. I was getting sick. I already knew what I had. So I told one of the managers, just let me go to my doctor. I don't feel well. And another manager was already doing paperwork, and that guy said, no, you have to follow the company rules. Rules meant the company called an ambulance. That's what a manager should do in an emergency. Even so, workers often try to avoid it. That's because the way health care and health insurance work, people like Brandon can end up paying for those ambulance trips. Doctors underdiagnose heat sickness, symptoms like headaches and nausea a doctor might pin on a pre-existing condition without connecting them to heat. So filing a workers' comp claim is a gamble. Insurers might deny your claim. At the emergency room, the doctor told Brandon that he had hypertension. He already knew that. He paid $300 cash at the emergency room. He's facing a bill of 3000 more. I told the company that they were going to pay my bill because they were the ones who called the ambulance. It wasn't my idea. I was going to go to my doctor. They said, no, we already helped you too much. Low-wage and immigrant workers say they fear retaliation when they complain about heat, when they get sick, when they ask for aspirin, and definitely when they file for workers' compensation. For working people, the abundance of the Inland Empire has given a little and taken a lot. 
When this area was famous for oranges, Chinese, Japanese, and Mexican workers earned pennies and breathed oily smoke from fires that kept the trees from freezing. During World War II, the Kaiser Steel Plant in Fontana employed thousands of union workers. It closed in the 80s. Nowadays, the Inland Empire is rich in warehouse jobs, but they're almost all non-union. Brandon says his company can always find someone to take his place. What can we do? If they tell us, if you don't like it here, there's the door. You can walk out. Brandon stands well over six feet. He loses weight during heat season. What's left is muscle. He's a bear of a man. You might see me like a bear, but there, they ignore you. They make you smaller than you are. They don't pay attention. Over and over, his work conditions have made Brandon feel small. But the business of moving goods through the Inland Empire keeps growing. Last year, the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach together were the nation's busiest. Three quarters of their cargo comes to sprawling logistics centers. I'm outside one in Mira Loma. There are trucks trailing cargo containers. They stream in and out of here 24-7. 85,000 men and women work in warehouses here mostly Latino like Brandon. Some make as little as 12 bucks an hour. Driving a forklift pays Brandon $18 an hour, just about a living wage in this region. Because the warehouse where he works changed owners, it's a dollar less than he was making last year. How long have I been working in the warehouse? Years. How long have I been in this country? Years. And it's always the same. Brandon has worked in warehouses as a mover and in manufacturing. He knows heavy labor. He came to California from Michoacan, so he knows hot weather. Familiarity with heat and work isn't enough. These conditions make work more dangerous. They make people irritable and they cause mistakes and even accidents. The best insulation against heat is money, but as heat intensifies, that insulation thins out. The heat is not asking people for their papers. The heat reaches everyone the same, do you hear me? The heat is us all over. The Inland Empire adds about a football field's worth of warehouse space a day. The fastest job growth in the country happens right here in San Bernardino and Riverside. Brandon says nobody has to tell the workers when it's not safe. They've been trying to tell anyone who would listen. Look at the climate. It's changing. It's getting hotter. But what are they doing about it? The people at the top, the people in charge, they're not looking for a solution for us, for the heat. California is looking for a solution. A three-year-old law requires the state to make a rule that protects workers from heat indoors. The rule was due in January, but state regulators haven't finished it yet.
You're listening to the California Report magazine. I'm Sasha Coca, and on this week's show, science reporter Molly Peterson is bringing us stories about heat. So, Molly, you found problems with heat and health in places we might not expect, places that are cool and temperate. Like the Bay Area, and not even the hottest parts of the Bay Area. I investigated two heat waves a couple of years back. I pulled the records where heat was a factor in people's deaths, and I found out that 14 people died during these heat waves in San Jose, in San Mateo County, and in San Francisco. Hospitals told me they were swarmed with people experiencing heat illness. And among the people who died, it wasn't people working, and it wasn't people who live unsheltered on the streets or people who do drugs. Most of the deaths were inside homes, and the average age of the people who died was almost 80. People who were born in San Francisco love to ask, where did you go to school? It's more than who taught you how to be in the world. It's shorthand for religion, for ethnic background, for class, and obviously geography. For Colleen Lohman, the answer was St. Cecilia, a Catholic elementary school that sprawls a city block. Black and red plaid uniforms, box pleats, green sweaters with an asphalt playground in the middle, right around the corner from her house. The neighborhood the school anchors is Parkside in western San Francisco, where neat rows of homes took root among sand dunes and eucalyptus trees. So when Colleen said St. Cecilia, that also meant she was white, Catholic, Irish, working class. Her father bought early in Parkside, and Colleen's goddaughter, Claudia Hernandez, says the Lomans built that house from the ground up. They drew it so old school. I mean, they did everything themselves. None of that kept her safe two Labor Days ago in 2017 when a heat wave descended on San Francisco. The dangerous heat is on in the Bay Area. Good morning. In heat, and this is just the beginning. Imagine temperatures jumping 10 to 15 degrees. Saturday temps could get so high, they're set for all-time records, beating out the top temp from 1952. 82-year-old Colleen Lohman was vulnerable in the wood and stucco house her parents built, the one with floor-to-ceiling windows and without air conditioning. She was at risk because her aging body couldn't adjust well enough or fast enough to intense heat. And she was isolated, even though she was loved. Colleen's goddaughter lives in Orange County, 400 miles away. Their conversations became a ritual. Daily, how's your day going? How's work going? My daughter's softball. Ezekiel's going to start high school. It was like maybe an hour talking time. Claudia met Colleen when she was three, arriving at a new foster home. Colleen was her foster mother's best friend, and Claudia crawled right into her arms. It was an accident of fate. She called her godmother Coco. She says that from that day on, she got this precious love for me. So I had a relationship with her forever. I mean, I don't know who cannot love Coco. Thursday before the long weekend, temperatures had started to climb. San Francisco hit 88 degrees. Talking to Colleen, Claudia felt something was off. You can hear that she was, I don't know, like, drained. 88 maybe doesn't sound like much to the Central Valley or the Inland Empire, but it's extreme for foggy San Francisco, especially in Parkside. A century ago, developers sold the neighborhood as a cool and breezy alternative to downtown, a short trolley ride away. 
On 14th Avenue, people kept up with each other, says her lifelong neighbor, Bob Schumann. I knew Colleen since I'd been a baby. I used to go to the house for birthday parties, and they were always playing the piano or something like that. After college, Colleen gave music lessons. One student, Colleen gave her own piano book to, the book she herself used as a girl. She loved piano. She performed Beethoven's Sonata Pathétique to earn her master's degree. Years passed. Her parents died and her sister. Some of the old familiar faces moved away. The neighborhood and the city grew younger. Even so, Claudia says that when she raised the idea of moving, Colleen insisted on staying put. I was like, I think it's time for for us to look for something for you. I mean, we need somebody to make you dinner. We need somebody to make sure. I'm okay. I don't need nobody in my house. I'm okay by myself. That holiday weekend two years ago, San Francisco's temperature pushed over 100 degrees for two straight days. An old fan, old school fan. That's all she had. And her windows were like maybe one-eighth open. They were not even open that much. Over the phone, Claudia urged Colleen to open her windows. But her godmother had lung trouble. She'd heard on the news that it was a bad air day. Colleen insisted on keeping the windows closed before she ended their chat. Don't call me. Don't call me. That meant don't call me. I don't want to talk. She didn't want to talk. Claudia called back at 4 p.m. Sunday. No answer. No answer later. Five. Six. By 7.30, she was calling every 15 minutes. Eight. Eight. Fifteen. Every 10 minutes. She finally got a hold of a woman who ran errands for Colleen. Please go over there, she said. You have to go over. Finally, Claudia listened over the phone as Colleen's helper found her, unconscious. The phone was there, but she was just screaming, Colleen, Colleen, like, please, Colleen. While that was happening, Claudia's husband, Jose, on his cell, called the police department. San Francisco Police Dispatcher 226. Hi, I'm trying to see if I can ask somebody go check on on, on my Jesus senior. Jose Hernandez told the dispatcher Colleen had not picked up her phone. Okay. All right, we'll get an officer out there as soon as possible, and then you can give us a call back on this number. San Francisco police fielded hundreds of medical calls like this throughout the weekend, lots more than usual. Climate change doesn't cause every heat spike, but it's making them more likely. And in California, it's boosting overnight temperatures. Two nights in a row, it was still over 80 degrees near midnight. During hours Colleen was trying to recover, it was hotter than San Francisco's usual hot days. Yeah, 97, that's uh, 910, 23, 19, 14, and it looks like you have uh, 408 and fire here. Paramedics yeah, arrived fire. too late. That medical part uh, came after the 910 been pending. Currently, CPR is in progress. Colleen Lohman died that weekend in the house she owned on 14th Avenue. Not long after that Labor Day, Claudia Hernandez got pregnant. Her youngest daughter's middle name is Coco, the nickname she had for Colleen. The little girl turned one this year. Colleen's last words still haunt Claudia. And then she just said, this heat is killing me. I can't talk right now. I don't want to talk. And she just we just hanged up. And that was it. Claudia thinks the heat had help. It's just, we live in this society where we just, we don't think about our next door neighbor. We don't think about, oh, they're by themselves. 
we we have a our life is so busy that we don't think about that. Since Colleen and five other people died, San Francisco officials have begun to warn people about heat at much lower temperatures. City planners have mapped hot spots and trees, and its government agrees social isolation is a problem worth working on. The city is trying to get people reacclimated to knowing each other by throwing parties. Daniel Holmesy runs the city's Neighborhood Empowerment Network. So what do we need to do? Well, we need people to know each other at the block level. We need them to be able to come together as a team. And those that need more help get that help. One weekend, I follow Daniel as he cheers on the parties and samples the potluck at two or three block parties in a row. They're called neighbor fests. In Dolores Heights, near Twin Peaks, they served up Greek salad and sizzling burgers. Over a game of beanbag toss, you can learn your neighbor's name and who keeps water around or has a cool basement to use as shelter in an emergency. Daniel's a native San Franciscan, and in his own family, he's felt the consequences of heat. His aunt lived on a cool, foggy hill. 20 years ago, she died in her home during a heat event. Rather than make a decision that was rational, which is, it's really hot upstairs in my house, I'm going to go downstairs where it's cooler. She's like, I'm really tired. I'm going to go lie in my bedroom. So the reality is, is that she laid down and she never got up. Now Daniel's job takes him through what he calls San Francisco's nook and cranny neighborhoods. It's a good gig for him. He's wildly chatty and he never stops thinking about being prepared for disasters. It also lets him shop garage sales along the way. We're headed to a neighbor fest in a hilly patch of southeastern San Francisco when we pull over. We meet Fran Link. This neighborhood, Glen Park, used to be known as Little Switzerland, a cool vacation spot with plenty of cows and not much fog. But during a heat wave, homeowners like Fran suffer. And we're not used to that. Daniel points at Fran's house. It's like a castle with a turret topping its bay windows. Do you, do you find that because of the hillside that your house can get really hot during like really warm sunny days? Yes, because we face south and west. Mm-hmm. I also have a southern facing house. It's amazing how they become just like little ovens. Like so many people in Northern California, Fran doesn't have central air conditioning in her home. But since that heat wave, she's made some changes. We have gotten 26 new windows, double-paned, solar. You got the windows insulated to reduce the UV rays that come in the house, right? Exactly. Daniel buys a set of knives for five bucks. Later, he says he sold Fran on something bigger. He told her about a community emergency response training. Later, he sends me a selfie of the two of them at the meeting. One more person who might be ready. With a changing climate, we don't always know what's coming for us. San Francisco's promoting the idea that we can be strong when things go wrong if we do it together. If there had been a neighbor fest in Parkside, Daniel says maybe someone would have thought to check on Colleen Lohman. You certainly can go and knock on your door of your neighbor's house and give them a glass of water and then make sure at 9 o'clock at night when the sun's gone down but it's still 90 degrees out that they're taking a cool rag and putting it on their face. That's easy to do. Some disasters may be too big for friendly neighbors to help with. Heat is not. That's the California Report magazine. Thanks to Molly Peterson for bringing us those stories. Thanks also to Seth Samuel for the original music for this episode. 
You can check out more about heat at californiareport.org. The California Report magazine is a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Our technical producer is Seal Muller. Our director is Susie Racho. Victoria Maleone is our senior editor. Our intern is Asala Sanapur. Cheryl Duvall edited this story with help from Kat Snow. The California Report's editorial team also includes Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. Thanks for listening. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, go to earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems and the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.